All right, good evening, everybody. Tonight, if you want to turn your Bibles to James chapter 4, that's where we'll be, James 4. Is our potluck this Sunday? Okay, potluck this Sunday, just a reminder. Some of you said yes awfully quick. You've been waiting for this, haven't you? Yeah. Yes, that's right. That's right. All right, let's pray and we'll, we'll begin tonight. Lord, we thank you for the worship and the time we've had and the, all the adults that are taking care of our kids back there and pouring into their little hearts. We pray that you bless those adults for their efforts and for their love for you and for your word. And we pray that those kids that understand it. Same for us. Help us kids to understand it too in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. I think it's important to start chapter 4 off with a fact that who James is. James is the leader of the church, if you didn't know that. Because as I'm reading this, chapter 4 has got a lot of exclamation points. <laughs> He's not happy, you know. And you wonder what happened. I love the background. What's the background? Why did James say, you know what, I'm writing a letter, you know, and... Mm. And uh, what happened, you know? Well, he's been in Jerusalem. If you remember the story, I'll read it to you. Acts chapter 15, verses 13 through 17. Uh, Peter and, and um, his sidekick have come and have been sharing about what um, what God's been doing with the Gentiles. And, and they're bringing it to the elders and to the apostles in Jerusalem. And the Jerusalem folks are trying to discern whether... Uh, they need to be Jews first to get saved as Gentiles or what. And so here's James steps in and quiets the whole crowd. That's how we ascertain that he's the leader, not Peter. James is. Peter's the one pleading the case. James is the one saying, I think this is the best answer. And by the Holy Spirit, he gives this answer. And after they had become silent, James answered saying, men and brethren, listen to me. Simon, Peter, has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. In other words, this has been prophesied. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, uh, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up. That's the prophecy and we see it being fulfilled so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who, uh, who are called by my name, says the Lord who does all these things. And I, I only quote that section of Scripture because that shows us James is kind of in authority. Well, after a while of leading these guys and listening to these arguments for a while, you know, enough talk. I mean, we can kind of understand that. Can we start seeing some action? We've been sitting here for far too long. We need to be doers of God's word. And so you can see why he wrote what he wrote and with such vigor. It's for the folks he's sitting around in Jerusalem as well, not just for everybody else in the church. So I wanted to start off with that tonight so we kind of understand why James gets a little hot under the collar here and why he's upset. Um, James has had it with carnal Christians is the idea. And I don't know if you knew that that was such a thing, but it is. Um, and, and we'll discuss that. There's other cross-references that we'll hit as we go through this chapter. But there are such a thing as carnal Christians. They're, they have fire insurance, um, but they're still living after the world. Uh, it, you know, it's a, it's a protective uh, 
certificate that they have uh, of being a Christian, but they haven't changed and they're still acting like the world. Okay, Paul calls them out on that, and so does James here. He's tired of it. No more of this. So no more talk. It's time for action. Now, I hear a lot as a pastor, and I'm sure you do too, the church, the church, the church. Why doesn't the church do this more? Why doesn't the church do that more? Why is the church like this and the church like that? And all the church, and I get tired of it a little bit. Let's start off to understand who the church is. The church is everybody that is a born-again believer in Jesus Christ worldwide. That's who we're talking about when we say the church isn't. Within that huge, enormous group of souls worldwide, there are pockets of people that aren't probably doing what they're supposed to do, and others are probably doing more of what they're supposed to, you know, need to back off a little bit. And within that huge Christendom, there's problems, It's always been like this. We get the idea that over the last 100 years or 500 years, the church has just gone downhill. No, we've got the same problems as they had in the first century church. It's no different. And I want to explain why. Because I think we need to know this. Christianity is a process. It it starts with, and and I wrote this down so I didn't mess it up, We're dirty, rotten criminals, all of us, born-again believers, who want to get right with God, who forgives us first of all of our sins, and then takes us to the conforming process into Christ. That's the order of things in Christianity. So you can imagine we've got problems. (laughs) There's people still not falling in line. There's people that have been told thousands of times. There's people who obeyed at the first voice. You know, it's always been like this. It doesn't mean we want to be content, but we have to understand what's happening. And so James has had it with the talking. It's time for some action. And so he moves in that direction. Sometimes as Christians, we grow quickly. And other times we go through seasons where we're just like molasses if not going backwards a little bit sometimes. I mean, any human being out there that's ever tried to diet or go on a weight loss program understands this, I think. You know, January 1st, yeah! February 1st, well, you know, it's Valentine's Day's coming up and <laughs> candy's out and no, 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 I'm going to get back to it. And, uh, yeah, Holidays are horrible for this, you know? And that's just our flesh and our flesh that we're trying to take care of. Imagine how we do things spiritually. Sometimes we want to quit. Sometimes we are really gung-ho. Every one of us is going, and none of us are going through it at the same time. So within the church worldwide, we've got all these things happening at the exact same time. In this church, we have all those things happening at the exact same time. And so I, w- I want us to give each other a little bit of grace and mercy. And we're going to do some hellfire too. James is going to give us hellfire tonight. But then we're going to go over here and we're going to read something else that's going to give us more grace and forgiveness and calm us down a little bit, bring us some peace. And then we're going to, and we'll talk about this in the end, as to why we discuss and read and study the entire Bible, not just bits and pieces of it. Verse 1. 
Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. Yet you do not have because you do not ask. And you, you ask, you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. It's a problem. You adulterers and adulteresses, our first exclamation point. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world must or makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is worldliness kind of summed up. This is carnal Christianity kind of summed up. He's talking to believers. He's writing to believers. He's not writing to unbelievers. He's writing to Christians. And these are the problems that Christians have. It's a rat race that can be ruthless if we haven't left these things of the world behind. We'll go over this a little bit slowly. I'll break it down a little bit. Wars and fights in the church and outside of the church come from simply that. I want what you have. Or I don't appreciate you, you know. I was uh, thinking about the, the and, and I'll, try to, I'll try to connect this. Um, I'm so in love with her. Or I'm so in love with him. Great. There is a difference between I love that person because they deserve somebody to love them. See, that's how God loves us. I love you, not because of what you can give me, God says, but because you are worthy of my love and I want to give you my love. I give it to you regardless of what I get back. See, when I say I fell in love with somebody, did I say I fell in love with them because I'm going to get or because they deserve someone to love them in this world? And I want to give that. That kind of love is a sacrificial love. That kind of love is an agape love. It's an unconditional love. And it's the only kind of love that God wants us to have. And then the other person responds and loves us back because we're worthy of their love. Someone to look at them and to think on them and to plead their case and to be on their side and support them and do whatever. It's not about, I think I love this person. I'm not sure as if I'm still evaluating what they can bring to my table. But I love this person because of what I'm going to bring to their table. You see, it changes everything. It changes everything. It's a selfless love now. It doesn't matter what you get back. It's only what you're giving because you're, you're, you're exemplifying Christ in their life. Does that make sense? James says, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires? Your expectations weren't met. Your needs. My wants. And that's exactly the opposite of how a Christian is supposed to live. We're supposed to be living for other people's needs, for other people's wants, other people's desires, and to make sure that we're meeting them. And that's where you'll find fulfillment, because you're fulfilling Christ. You're being like Jesus. It's huge. 
That's where the wars come from. You lust and do not have. You murder. Now the word there that he's using there for murder is more along Matthew 5, 21, 22, just you know, robbing someone of the reputation, hating them in their heart. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. And whoever says his brother, Raka, or fool, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hellfire. It's a hard issue Jesus was trying to get in Matthew across to these guys. You don't actually actually have to do the act. It's the act in your heart that's already, you're already guilty as far as God's concerned. And so when he, James talks about that, that's exactly what he's talking about. You murder people's reputation. You murder people's lives. Steal it from them. And you covet and you cannot obtain. You're fighting for everything you can get. And it's a danger. You fight in war. Yet, you do not have because you do not ask. Okay, good. So you just have to ask. And then he follows up with, but when you do ask, you're again asking for yourself. Why am I not getting what I deserve? I need more. I deserve more. I deserve better. I deserve... Mm-mm. You ask amiss. That's why you don't receive, because you want to spend it on your pleasures. You see, usually we, we take the cheap way out on this passage and talk about the lottery or something, you know. You, know, you buy lottery tickets for your own pleasure so you can have your yacht, when actually you should be buying lottery tickets for the mission. No, no. You know. No, this is much deeper, much more spiritual than just physical property. He's tired of seeing the fights in front of him in Jerusalem. Pharisees still acting like Pharisees. The Sadducees, even though they're born-again believers, are still acting like Sadducees. He's tired of the willy-nillies out there that really aren't paying attention to anything God ever said in the Old Testament. Not listening to any of Paul's letters, and so he's frustrated with it all. His concern is, you're wondering why it's not working It's because you're committing spiritual adultery against the one who loves you the most. You've got this friendship with the world, and you're cheating on Christ, is the idea. You're cheating on Jesus. Here's what cheaters do. Cheaters give the very best of themselves to the one who's in secret, and they give the leftovers to the one they're married to, you see. They get the gifts. They get the affection. They get the infatuation. They get the lust. They get the love. They get the very best that someone has to offer. And the, the, the one you're married to gets the leftovers, of whatever you can bring back or leave behind. And, and that's how God feels when we're walking around in this world and we're still in love with it and still trying to marry it and still trying to secretly be involved in it in the sense that we have a love affair with it. But we go to church, and we read our Bibles, and we pray, but, oh, I love this, and I love that. He feels it's like adultery to him. So James is calling him out. Look, when you got saved, guys, in Jerusalem and everywhere else in the world, there should have been a switch, a flip, a change. You have to be in the world. You're just not supposed to be of it, of course. 
You got to go get a job. You got to work. You got to make money. You got to provide for your own needs. We have all those passages. It's the love. It's the infatuation. It's the, I'm more comfortable there than I am with God. It's like, why is that? In the church, not every church, (laughs) but in a lot of the church, there's this hand-holding that goes on, and I'm not going to do it ever. I just won't do it. Okay, now this Friday, we're all going to go out and tell someone about Jesus together on the streets. Let's go tell people about Jesus. Oh boy, I don't know if I can tell someone about Jesus. I don't know. Then don't. When does it get to the point where I'm so madly in love with Jesus that I have to tell people about Jesus? It's burning in my heart. There's a lost and dying world out there that has to know Jesus. I have the solution. I've discovered this. I want to tell them. I... No. That's like someone saying, okay, now it's time to have breakfast with Jenny, your wife. Oh, boy, you know. <laughs> and then I sit down sheepishly in front of Jenny. Um, um, how was your day today, Jenny? Thanks. You know, no. James is like, he's just calling him out. Look, you're a born again believer. You've been set free from hell. You're not going to hell anymore. And there's a lot of people that are still going there. And they don't know about Jesus. How grateful are you? How excited are you about the good news that you're not going there anymore and that you can tell other people to not go there anymore too if they just trust in him? That hand-holding has to stop. Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 3. He says this, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now, you're still not able. You're still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? It's a wonderful book, by the way, Mere Men. In other words, Paul says, I expect you to not act like mere men anymore. James is calling them all out. Stop acting like mere men. You're not mere men anymore. Verse 7. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. <laughs> I laugh because it's, it's like seeker-friendly, you know. No. Now, he's writing to believers. And what he means by sinners is you, you guys are, I mean, you, you're just acting like you've never met Jesus before. Why are you like that? So go wash your hands. He's making the, This is participation. You know, if you ever thought that you had no part to play in your transformation into Christ, you do. We all do. He's not going to make us. He's not going to bring us there. He's not going to force us. He's going to have brothers like James step into our lives and say, would you wash your hands and purify your hearts already? It's time. It's past time for that. 
You're double-minded. You've got your mind here and you've got your mind there. You need to be all in. Commit. Commit. Lament and mourn and weep, exclamation point. That's our second one. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Can you tell he's finished with them? It's like, I'm done. You know, I'm going to tell you what you need to hear. Because he loves them and he's tired of it. The, Christianity is being besmirched because of these people. It's got a bad reputation because of the way they're... You're laughing. I love fellowship. I do. And I love... Um, I was going to use an old-fashioned word, but I'm going to catch myself because I'm not that old. Jocularity, I'll use it. That's an old-fashioned word, isn't it? Some of you are like, I don't even know what it means. You know, Joking around, you know, having fun with each other. There are times after services that people have been broken and busted by God, by His Holy Spirit, and we kind of need to respect that a little bit and let them kind of go through, because this is a good morning. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. It's good to let that... Mer- you can sit for a little bit with the Lord and... Pour your heart out to him and say, thank you for speaking to me tonight. I really, need, I really needed that. I appreciate that. I'm, I'm giving you my life. Let people do that, and then we can go joke around, you know. But let that settle. James is saying, I, I want your joy and your, to be turned to gloom. You don't hear that very often in the Bible. But being so happy, you need to be crying right now, you know. Because of what I see in your heart. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And here's his hope. Here's why he says everything. He's not mad, that mad, like I want you to go away. Because he'll lift you up then. He can lift you up when you're there. When you're not there, he's got to wait for you to get there before he can begin to do his work in your life. You have to be humble before he can begin to lift you up again. There is carnal contentment in the church which is what James is addressing here. I'm content where I am with Christ. I'm content with my love affair with the world. I'm content. I'm, this is just, I've got the balance down. And then there's godly contentment, which is great gain, he says. In 1 Timothy 6, he says this to us, verse, verses 3 through 6. If anyone teaches otherwise and not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men, corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such withdraw yourself. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. We have to read all of that to get that last verse. This is not an isolated incident in James. Timothy, or Paul writes to Timothy about it. Jesus talks about it in Matthew. I mean, this is throughout Scripture. This is just a common problem with people. It's not the age we live in. It's not the age they lived in. It's just people becoming unpeopled and more like Christ. It's a common thing. Many times we just need to be confronted with what it really means to be radically saved. 
Radical is a bad word nowadays. You know, we don't want to be too radical. We don't want to be radical left. We've got the radical right. It's used as a derogatory thing. Well, normal Christianity is radical. It's radical salvation. You were going one way and you are not going that way anymore. You haven't figured out a way to bring Christ on your worldly path. You've rejected the worldly path and you're going in the path of righteousness. It's radical. God calls us to that. James is trying to snap them out of their apathy. Come on, he says. So, verse 11. Here's the judgment one. (laughs) Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law... Are you not a doer of the law, but a judge? Or you are not a doer of the law, but a judge? There is one lawgiver, one who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? Oh boy, we love that verse. (laughs) I want you to hear it. If I looked, I'm going to, Nathan, you had a fire at your house. You're kind of low, so I'm going to pick on you. We need to pray for him. Stop judging people. What did I just do? But James can say that to to Nathan, not me, but to Nathan here, right? So it's not the word we think it means. Because how can he write throughout Scripture, in fact, Jesus does it in a crazy, forgive me, not crazy, but in a very interesting way. He says, I don't want you judging each other. And the very next chapter, he says, now I need you to judge. So it's not what we think. I think we know exactly what he means by it. Because how can you spend an entire New Testament of telling people how to live, what not to do, and what to do, and what they're doing wrong, and how they need to change, and that's not judgmental. You see? What's judgmental is when I am not doing it from a place of love and hope and and desire for them to grow and to and to succeed and to do well and to follow the Lord in a better way. I, I, I'm, I'm not to look at my brother's speck without taking my plank out first, right? But it doesn't mean I don't work on the speck. I just have to understand how painful it is. The process is difficult and hard. And so I work on myself and consider myself equal to everybody in Christendom. I'm no better. And I expect them to call me out on my sin just like I call them out on their sin so that there can be a purification that takes place in the body of Christ. It's not judgmental for me to pick on you and say, don't judge. No, we're not to judge to condemnation, you know? We're not to judge to, to, to sentence people to death or to hell. or to, We have no business, we're not called to that. But we are called several times in Scripture to judge fruit. They will know you're Christians by your love. We're called to to judge that way. So it's not a complicated thing. I just think we're using the the same word in two different ways. I'm not supposed to judge people to condemnation, but I am supposed to. I mean, how can I do what I do up here uh, without being judgmental? So, I mean, how do I give counsel when people ask me, you know, I don't know if this is sin or not. It's absolutely sin. Well, don't judge me. Okay, I don't know what to say then. I don't know how to move forward in this conversation. 
So, Romans 14, verses 4 through 13. Listen to carefully. I mean, he says this word. (laughs) Paul is telling the Romans to stop judging, and he's judging them while he writes this. Okay, so you get the point. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master, he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. I think that's one of the most important things we can remember about people and their sin. Remember, their sin is against God. David said it, and we don't know that we understand it. He says, you and you alone have I sinned against. Well, David, you kind of killed Uriah. That's a big deal. But when he confesses it, he says, I've sinned against you and you alone. I think we need to remember that. Their sin is against God. Me telling them about it, Paul telling the Romans about it, is reminding them that this is between them and God, and if God makes him stand, he makes him stand. You, you don't know their heart. You don't know their motivation. You don't know anything about them. All you see is the exterior. You saw the act. You witnessed it, experienced it, however. But you can't go beyond that. You don't know the heart. Only God knows the heart of man. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. Now he's talking about disputable things. One people, the Sunday is the day of worship. Nobody should do any work on Sunday. Everybody's like, no, my whole life is a Sunday. Christ is my Sabbath. Every day is the same for me. I worship God every day of my life. To each person be fully convinced in his own mind and do it unto the Lord. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. He who does not observe the day to the, to the Lord, he does not observe it. In other words, he thinks he's honoring God by not picking a day. He's worshiping God every day. So he really believes he's worshiping God in these things. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. What he means by that, he eats pig, he eats snails, escargot. He's eating everything that creeps and crawls. And and there's a lot of people that say, you can't do that. In the law, it says, well, then you don't eat snails. But I think, I believe what God said to Peter when he brought down the sheet and says, don't call common what I've cleansed. Everything's clean. Peter, Peter, rise. You can eat anything in this sheet. And it was everything in that sheet. It was like Louisiana kind of stuff. I mean, really. Sucking the heads out of crawfish. You got to draw a line. I don't care if it's in the Bible or not. It ought to be amended somewhere. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Trying to lighten it up a little bit tonight. Lord does, he does not eat, he gives God thanks. So some people choose not to. For none of us lives to himself and no one dies to himself. It isn't about us. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. In other words, these are sacrifices that people are making in their lives for God. Nothing to do with me. That's to do with them and God. You know, come on over to my house. We're going to have a big barbecue, good fellowship, good time. Probably would be if I wasn't fasting this week. Well, you're fasting. Well, one guy wants to have a bunch of believers over for a great worship night with food and fun and all that. And the other guy's alone in the desert. Both are serving the Lord. Yay. We'll catch you next time, buddy. We'll let that barbecue smell go right, you know. We'll walk around you with our hot dogs and make it hard, make it real sacrificial for you. No. None of us lives to himself or dies to himself. We live for God. For to this end, Christ died and rose 
and lived again, that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this. In other words, put this to rest, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. In other words, I don't get to bring my barbecue to the guy who's fasting. I go far away so I don't bring any, make it any harder for him, you know. And he doesn't judge me for living it up. You know, we're going to have a great fellowship night with Cheeseburger. You guys ought to be fasting with me because that's super spiritual. Well, you ought to be singing worship songs with us because we're super spiritual. It's the exact opposite of that. We'll be praying for you, you know, that it's a good time with the Lord and that he speaks to your heart while you're alone with him. Wonderful, wonderful. I'll be praying for you guys while I'm over there starving to death, you know, that you're enjoying it. You don't get salmonella or something, you know. Pray for one another. Verse 13. Come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we shall do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. That's where he ends. He's mad. We use that last verse a lot, don't we? Therefore, to him who knows to do good, because that's that's where we find our our section of Scripture that talks about the sin of omission. You have the committing of a sin. I did something wrong that I shouldn't have done. But then there's the knowing to do good and not doing it. That's also a sin, you see. The sin of omission, not doing it. What he means by that is, A, you got one chapters 1 through 4 under your belt. You now know, you're now accountable. It's just his exclamation point on the book. I told you. I ain't telling you again is the idea. Now you know, if you don't do it, it's sin. He's upset. And I understand. Um, Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, I, I share that because that's how every born-again believer's life is supposed to... That's our anthem, basically. I don't live for myself anymore. I live for Christ. I do what's necessary in this world, but I live for Christ. I live to serve people. I live to love God and to worship Him. I live to be an ambassador for Him on this earth. I live for that. I don't live for myself. It's not what I can get. It's what I can give in every aspect of my life. I don't want to close with this. I'm closing early, so I got 10 minutes to drag this out if I want to. I won't. Um, and I understand this. There's, there's a lot of people saying that America needs a letter from Paul, right? I agree to some extent. Um, we've got a lot of letters from Paul already. He's not going to write us anything new. It's already here. 
our problem with church worldwide is that we're not reading all the letters. That's the problem. We don't need another letter. We're just not reading the ones that he wrote. Now, some of us say, some of the church says, we need more fire and brimstone. We need more talk. Jesus talked a lot about hell. Well, we got James tonight. That covered it, didn't it? We got a little hellfire. All of us feel a little hot back here, you know? Okay, I get it. Then the other part of the church says that sometime we need more love and forgiveness and understanding. Well, we've got Ephesians for that. Ephesians talks all about that. Well, the unsaved, they don't, they're not welcome in the church. Unsaved don't feel like they can come to church. Well, that's why we have Matthew. We read Matthew for that. Well, five years later, they're still not saved in that church. We need a little more hellfire. Well, that's what we got 1 Corinthians for. You guys are a little too proud of your sin in there. It's time to get rid of it, shed it, you know. Now we're moving from the foundations of God, the foundations of Scripture. That's what Galatians is for. We got that letter already. We need a church that's spirit-led. Well, that's what Acts is for. We've got that. You're too legalistic. Colossians. Colossians tells us all about that. You guys are too loose with the scriptures. Too loose. I don't even think you guys read them anymore. That's what 1 Timothy's for. Right? We need more missions. We need to reach out more. Do more evangelistic missions. Revelation 2, the church of Smyrna. You know, the oppressed, the persecuted church. There needs to be more love. There's just no love in this church. It feels like a dead church. Oh, that's Revelation 2, the letter to Ephesus. They left their first love. Right? We've got it all. If we go through, as a sickly body of Christ here in Maryville, Missouri, the entire counsel of God, we're going to hit everything. If there's one thing the church lacks, it's just a teaching of the Word of God. The letters have been written It's all clearly laid out for us. He will hit every single one of our topics and everything that we need to be changed for. And it'll be such a well-balanced meal. So well-prepared, so lovingly prepared by our Father in Heaven for us to eat. Lives will be changed, you know. We got a great book here. It is is, um, alive and able to meet each one of us tonight in everything that we're going through, you know. The church doesn't have problems. We, I mean, we do. It's just, we're just problematic people. And God is working things out of every single person and working in different ways in every single person here, you know. And it's a great thing. And we're growing, you know. And, and, and you know what? Next week, there'll be a, a bitter argument between a brother or sister or two sisters in the church here, you know. It's not the end of the world, no, a couple, a couple fleshy people ran into each other at church and they started a conflict. Well, let's not just find other churches. Let's just work through it. Stick around, rub each other smooth, get all the sharp edges off, learn what you have to learn. And now you're like that smooth stone at the bottom of a rocky, you know, rocky mountain river. Aren't those beautiful? I, I always want to steal them from, from Colorado. They're just so smooth. That's because they've been tumbling and rolling and bouncing off each other. We don't have to find new churches. They're going to have problems there too. You're going to run into somebody else that's going to rub you the wrong way. You may as well do it here and get it over with. 
And then there's going to be people that are too carnal. Or, you know, that person's been here for five years. I don't think they've heard a word of, of the gospel. I've been bringing them for... I know. Every church has someone that's been there for decades and still isn't a born-again believer. We do our best, you know. I'm not a... I don't want to be like this tonight. I, 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 just, want to, I just want us to understand what's happening here and, and should be happening everywhere. People are getting saved, they're growing, they're slowing down, they're growing fast, they're walking away from the Lord, they're coming back to the Lord. It's all happening all the time, and it has for 2,000 years. And we need to be faithful. We need to hear what God has to say to us tonight, to do what God's told us to do tonight, and not judge if anybody else heard, or boy, someone needs that CD tonight, or tape, and we don't do those anymore, but... Need to share that with them on the platform so they can listen to it. No, it was for you. It was for me. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for James's strong voice, God. We need that. We're also thankful for Paul's love and gentleness at times. We're thankful for your Holy Spirit who knows to give us exactly what we need when we need to hear it. And it's so easy to receive from you. Because we always know you're looking out for our best interest and, and, and striving for us to succeed and do well with you. To walk the walk that we really want to walk. At least we said that to you. And you're, you're bringing us along and helping us. So God, tonight we want to submit to you. To resist the devil. To resist the worldliness that draws us and lures us. To commit ourselves to you. To keep our eyes fixed on you. And to be untethered from this world. To not be so entangled with it that we can't move spiritually, God. But I thank you for these people. I thank you for their love for you, their heart for you, their desire for your word and to learn and to place themselves at your feet and at your mercy to be taught by you. And uh, I just pray that you'd bless them, God, abundantly. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a great rest of the week.